born to die that he might give eternal life that I might live Welcome to Yankee Arnold Ministries. Dr. Arnold will be with you in just a moment, but first, we want you to know how much we appreciate your prayers and financial support. You may help this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Again, that's 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Feel free to send Dr. Arnold your questions or comments to yankee at yankeearnold.com, and he will respond as quickly as possible. Now, here is Dr. Arnold with today's message. But we're on uh, our lecture number two of our new members class. And so um, now that you have a little booklet in your hand, if you will open it up to page three, page three. This is uh, in our doctrinal statement. And so um, I want you to be turning your Bible to book of John chapter one, the gospel of John and chapter one. So let's begin with a word of prayer, shall we? Now, Father, we thank you for the privilege we have to come together and to study your word and learn the things that makes this church what it is. And we ask your blessings upon each person here, clear our minds, and, and Father, help us to walk through the scriptures, believing that they come from you, and they can change lives, change destinies. Help us to be found faithful as we study together. In Christ's name we pray, amen. But here in the book of uh, John chapter 1, you'll notice in verse 14 where he says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now you'll notice that number 4 there on the bottom of page 3, concerning our doctrinal statement, the person and the work of Christ, the person and the work of Christ. <clears throat> we believe that the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, without ceasing to be God, became a man, sinless in nature, having been conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, in order that he might reveal God and redeem sinful man. We believe that he accomplished our redemption through his death on the cross as a substitutionary sacrifice. We believe that our redemption and salvation is guaranteed to us by his literal physical resurrection from the dead. Now, no other leader of any religion, I should say, I don't even like using that word, but they're all dead. And none of them died for their people. But Jesus is God. I got a little email this week from a man named Mohammed. That name ought to kind of give you an idea who it might be. And he let me know that uh, he went on our website and 
read some stuff, and he let me know that the only God is Allah. Allah is God, and Jesus is not God. So therefore, I must be wrong, because he said so. I don't think so. But anyway, life does get interesting. So I, yes, I got to answer his letter. And I got about five or ten more in there I got to answer who questioned me on a lot of things. Sometimes they'll go to the website and they'll read things that Hank Lindstrom wrote and then take me to question. I said, why don't you contact Hank? <laughs> well, I get to Hank, I'll say, Hank, you realize what you did to me? I said, you're supposed to answer those questions. Because, you know, uh, we all hit all kinds of subjects. And it, anybody has a question on something, we, we hit it. So, um, anyway... But to verify these verses, this is why it says, like in verse 18 of John chapter 1, No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. So the Son came into the world to reveal the Father. And so when you see the Son, as Jesus said, he hath seen me. He that sees me sees the Father. And so, is Jesus Christ God? Well, look what he says in verse 1 of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. So how old is the Son? Well, how old is the Father? If he's the everlasting Father, he has to have an everlasting Son. So the Son has to be as old as the Father, and yet they're eternal. So there can't be a beginning. Never had a beginning. Now it's hard for us to believe that we'll never have an ending. There will never be an end to us. From now on, we will always be. But sometimes I think about this. If God has always been, then God knows everything. Has God known Yankee Arnold for eternity? Hey, now that's a good thing to think about, ain't it? How long have I been in the mind of God? Or did he just finally, after he made all these other billions of people, he thought about me. He made me special. And then you're sitting there probably thinking, well, he made me special, too. I used to say, I, I'm God's pet child. You know, in that family, you've got to have a pet child. I felt like I'm God's little pet child. But anyway, you know that I'm joking. Maybe a little bit. But look there in Romans. I want you to see this in Romans in chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. And when we say that he is the payment for our sins, you know, the substitute for our sins, well, that's exactly how the Bible puts it. That's why we're not making it up. We're just telling you what the Bible says. So you see there in verse 24, verse 24, being justified freely. You know, that comes right after he had just declared in verse 23, all have sinned. Everybody has sinned. But he justifies freely by his what? So that means that though everybody sins, he can justify you freely by his grace. Now get this. Through the redemption, that means because of this payment, he redeemed us. He paid a price to set us free. The reason it's free to us is because he redeemed us. He paid a price. Now if he had just made a down payment, we'd still be in a heap of trouble. He made a complete full payment 
for all of our sins so that we could be justified, just as if we had never sinned, because we paid our debt in full. So there was this righteous law that condemns the whole world, and Jesus died and made our debt payment. So then he says this in verse 25, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation. That means a satisfaction, where God was satisfied. See, God wasn't satisfied with the blood of bulls and goats. He's not satisfied with all the good works that people give. In other words, people try to live a good life, and that's their payment for their sins, because they're trying to earn their way to heaven. So their good works are supposed to pay for all the bad things they did. You know, I did these three bad things. Yeah, but I did four good ones. That extra good one puts me one up. So you have to wait till you die to find out, did my good outweigh my bad? Did I have more good works than I had bad works? Well, I'm glad it's, that's not the way it is. So then you've got to sit there and wait until the day you die to find out if you made it or not. So the Bible says that he is the satisfaction for our sins. Propitiation is a big fancy word, but that's all it means. It means that God was satisfied with the payment Christ made. So therefore, he accepts that, and all he wants you to do is accept that. You see, it's like getting married. I do, I do, whoo, and now they're happy for the rest of their lives. Isn't it easy to say, I do? It's living with each other afterwards that's the problem. And salvation is that easy. Will you trust Christ as Savior? Yes, sir. Done. You mean I don't have to do anything? No. How much did you have to do to get married? I do. Oh, somebody had to sign a paper. But that's really all you had to do. So simple. It's easy to get married. Hard part is living with them afterwards. So you as a child of God are supposed to serve the Lord and live for the Lord. So that's what we do. But now some people ask me the question, Yankee, what about the sins that you commit after you get saved? I mean, he paid for all the sins up to the time you got saved. But now what are you going to do about those after you get saved? Well, there's something wrong with that premise. Christ didn't pay for all of your sins just up to the time you got saved. He paid for all of your sins from the time you're born to the time you die. All of them. Is he coming down next year to pay for what you did this year? If he had to keep paying for your sins as you commit them, he'd never get off the cross. He might as well just stay there. But he got down. Went to heaven and sat down. Why? It's finished. No more payment needed. Why? Because he paid for all the sins of the world. I asked the college kids this. I read them this verse. Then I said, explain it to me. And they sat there and looked at me dumbfounded. Now, I know you're smarter than that. So I'm going to read this verse to you, too. See there in verse 25? Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are what? Ah, so those are the ones you've already done. Now, what about the ones in the future? See, now you've got to keep getting forgiveness over and over and over again until the day you die. I says to the college kid, I say, explain it to me. Duh, duh. <laughs> it was fun. So I, uh, I says, when it makes a statement there in verse 25, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past. I said, that's not talking about me as an individual. That's talking about those people that died before the cross. 
See, people in the Old Testament looked forward to the day the payment would be made. We look back to the payment that has been made. And that's why he says there in verse 26, to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness. See, there's two words. Past, this time. So now, after the cross, it's the same payment that God was satisfied with for all the sins that were before the cross and all the sins that are after the cross. So he made one payment for all sin forever. And that's why he says, go into all the world and preach the forgiveness of sins. Because the payment has been made. You see, God couldn't forgive you of your sins if there hadn't been a satisfactory payment made. I mean, let's say you've got a car payment you've got to make. $500 a month. You go down there and says, look, all i got is these shoestrings. If that works, let me know. No, because that's not what they require. They want that money. And so you say, yeah, but I brushed my teeth. What's that got to do with the payment? Nothing. What's going to church and living a good life have to do with going to heaven? Nothing. Because, see, there's already been a satisfactory payment made. So that's why he says here in verse 21, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. So generally we say those that were under the law, Jews and the Gentiles on the conscience, but notice that the law does more than that. Look there in verse 19. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth, maybe stop, all the world, all the world may become guilty before God. So the Bible says all have sinned, all the world guilty before God. Then look what he said in verse 20. Referring to the law. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, that means trying to keep the law, by your works, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. So why waste your time? Why try to be justified in God's eyes by living a good life? It won't work. Now, I'm not advocating people go out and just try to live as wicked as they can. I'm just saying, regardless of how good you live, it won't work. Now, get else, what else he says here? Because of the law is the knowledge of sin, that's why we know that we're all sinners. So in verse 21, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest. In other words, I can have God's righteousness without works. God will give me his righteousness without works. And then he says, even the righteousness of God in verse 22, which is by faith in Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. See, his salvation, and I always understand, is always to everybody, but it's only upon those that believe. So this is what he's saying there in verse 26. To declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness. Because they had to declare his righteousness in the Old Testament. Because of the payment that was made by Christ, all those sins in the past were paid for by Christ. And we believe that. So down in verse 28, he says, Therefore we conclude, a man is justified by faith without what? The deeds of the law. Is that clear or is that not clear? That's what he says. Clear as a bell. So, and yet there's people who say, well, you've got to live the life. That's why some people reject trusting Christ. Oh, well, I'm not ready to live it. Who said anything about living it? You don't have to live the life. You don't have to live the Christian life. 
You don't have to walk that straight and narrow way to go to heaven. Christ is the narrow way. When you have him, you have what you need to go to heaven. Otherwise, why have him? If you've got to live it, then what do I need Christ for? What was that for? To give me a start? Was he a Daniel Bohm and a David Crockett be a trailblazer? You know, this is the way. No, that's not what it's about. Now, these verses are very, very important, but I hope you see that. But I want you to see another verse here. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. When we say we believe the gospel, we mean we believe the good news. The good news is that Christ died and paid for our sins according to the scriptures, was buried and rose again the third day, just like the Bible teaches. Now notice what he says here in verse 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. Now you can write these additional scriptures down in your little book if you want to. Uh, I guess we need to let you keep those books. Otherwise you can't write in them because then you'll never get the right one back. What do you think? All right, keep the book. All right, here in verse 3, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. The Bible teaches Jesus Christ literally died, paid for sin, came back from the dead. You see, if you could be killed today and come right back from the dead... What's the problem of being killed? If you knew you could be shot and then just come right back. They try to make movies today about you can't kill them. You know, The Walking Dead and stuff like that. TV's full of all kind of movies about people that are, you know, they're zombies and coming up out of the grave. And then, uh, uh, I guess you could say, and I mentioned this the other day. Every person born into this world, all children are born dead means they're born separated from God. And that's why the Bible says you're dead in your sins and trespasses. It means separated from God. Everyone born in this world is separated from God. That's why he says we're all dead, separated from God. So when you trust Christ as your Savior, you have been quickened, made alive. It means you have been given life, spiritual life. So you were born dead, and now you're born alive. That's a different way of looking at it. All right, look at number five. Number five there. The personality of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes people think, well, he's like smoke that gets in your eyes. Well, you can have something that can influence you, but he's more than that. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is a person. Look at this. We believe that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, is a person who convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. In the present age, he also regenerates believers in Christ, indwells them permanently, seals them unto the day of redemption, bestows spiritual gifts upon each one, and fills those yielded to him. So we believe that the Holy Spirit is God, the third person of the Godhead. Now, a lot of times people go to church and they just join a church and they haven't got a clue what the church believes. A lot of times... Preachers will have everybody stand. You want to join the church, you come on down. They vote them in. They want to join the church. Yay. Now they're members. And nobody knows what anybody believes. I'm not sure that's the best way to do it. I think people ought to know what they're getting into. 
This is what we believe. And we don't want anyone coming into our membership and try to change what we believe. This is what we believe. So if somebody comes in and they try to teach something contrary to our doctrinal statement, they're going to be dealt with because they're not coming in here to change our church. Nobody's going to join our church to change it in the sense of our doctrinal statement. We're always willing to learn and get some things from each other, but we've already decided this is what we believe. So nobody's to change us. So uh, you ever seen two people get married? I'll never change him. He's perfect. I'll never try to change her. She's just the way I want her. <laughs> well, we could go a long way on that one, can't we? But this is a little bit different here because God's word is not to be changed. We're supposed to say this is what the Bible says, this is what we believe, and this is where we stand on it. But look there in John chapter 14 and verse 16. Gospel of John. John chapter 14 and verse 16. Verse 16, and it's uh, those three things I mentioned to you before about sin, righteousness, and judgment. This is why he says go into all the world and preach the gospel. Through the gospel, everybody finds out that, you know, they're not saved. The, the sin of unbelief. They're not righteous. They're going to be judged. So that's what preaching the gospel does. It warns people too. Now look what he said in verse 16. And I will pray or ask the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you for how long? Forever. Even though spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. See, in the Old Testament he dwelt with them, but in the New Testament he will dwell in you. This is something that is a change. So now he says, when he leaves, he says, I'm going to give you another one just like me. And he's the comforter. Now, he is a comforter when you obey him. And he's a great discomforter if you don't obey him. So the Holy Spirit living within you can bring you a lot of comfort and discomfort. And this is why this is so important. But now notice John chapter 14. And look what he says in verse 18. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And that is in the person of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a comforter. Jesus was here. People had, they had comfort. They knew that Christ could take care of them, provide and work miracles and give them all the food they needed to eat. And um, Jesus says, I, I lost none of those. So now you're talking about, I will not leave you comfortless. Now here you are, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. Do you ever feel like you just have no comfort at all? Nobody can comfort me. Do you ever have moments of discouragement, depression, despair, all that? Well, don't you still have the Holy Spirit supposed to give you comfort? Then where is he? <laughs> Why don't I have this comfort? The comfort comes whenever you yield to the Holy Spirit. And he says, now believe me and trust me. I will walk you through this. 
and cast all your cares upon me because I care for you. And the Holy Spirit will lead you and walk you through whatever it is in life. He can walk you through it. And your comfort comes because you trust him. When you don't trust him, you don't have the comfort. And therefore, you don't have the hope or the joy. So what does the devil do? What is that old sinful nature? The old sinful nature gets you to question and doubt. He ain't going to come through this time. God's going to fail you. He's not going to keep his word. And next thing you know, what do you believe? So you understand this little point. That's a good point. If you feed your faith, your doubts will starve to death. But if you feed your doubts, then your faith will starve to death. So whichever one starves to death is your choice. And whichever one you feed, that's your choice. So you can get stronger or weaker, but it's your choice. So when you get down and discouraged, you chose to do that. Nobody made you get down and discouraged. Nobody made you get in despair. That's a choice you made. And so, meantime, we don't like that because it reveals that my faith is not as strong as I thought it was. So God is always allowing us trials and testings to reveal where our faith is. So whenever you're just, you know, I'm going to really fall apart. Oh, that's a good sign of trust in the Lord, isn't it? And so because of that, it reveals things to us. Pressure, heat, time, all of those things coming in on us. And so sometimes instead of us, you know, running smooth, we're <laughs> like a yo-yo. And we go back and forth. So it's not that you don't yo-yo as much. It just, you just, you know, well, you're slowing down. You're getting a little bit smoother ride and learning how to not overreact. But we do that. So notice what he says in verse 19. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me, because I live. Ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in the Father, and he ye in me, and so on. So he says, the Holy Spirit's job is to teach you about Christ. Now look in verse 26. In verse 26. For the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So sometimes we say, well, how did those disciples remember all the things that happened in order to write down, you know, the Gospels and all? Well, the Holy Spirit. He says he's going to bring them to their mind whatever he has said. Now, he hasn't said those things to us. He said it to them. But the Word of God wants to teach us all things, so the Holy Spirit lives within us to teach us the things that God said. So that's why whenever you read the Bible, you have the author of the Bible always present with you. Isn't that good to know? I got the author. And the Holy Spirit can lead and guide you through the Scriptures, and He will teach you what the Bible says. And He doesn't contradict Himself. And if we don't understand something, it's, uh, maybe you haven't read the right verse that explains it. So the key thing is always try to understand complicated verses by the simple, clear verses that you do. John 3.16, Ephesians 2.8-9. Those are very clear. So do you know the Bible can't contradict itself? So all the verses that seems to say that you have to earn your way to heaven, well, what does Ephesians 2.8-9 say? For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, 
not of works, lest any man should boast. So no other verse can contradict that teaching on salvation because it is truth. So you use a clear verse to try to understand the other. So the gospel, purity of the gospel, is the lens by which you study the scriptures. And if you're messed up on the gospel, you're going to be messed up on a lot of stuff. You're not going to see clearly. So anyway, this is why this is so important. Is it possible to trust Christ as my Savior without making Him Lord of my life? Is it true that if Christ is not Lord of all, He is not Lord at all? Pastor Yankee Arnold has prepared just the right book with answers straight from the Bible. The book is called Gospel Driven Man, and Pastor Yankee wants to send it to you free of charge. Simply write to Pastor Yankee at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634, and request the book. Or write by email at yankee at yankeearnold.com. That's yankee at yankeearnold.com. Jesus is coming, so keep looking up. Thanks for listening to today's broadcast. We pray that today's message was a blessing to you and your family. You may help support this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Friend, one day it will happen. The trumpet will sound and we will be changed caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So live today and every day, believing that the Lord is coming soon, and just keep looking up. Amazing grace amazes me.